Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Debrief on ABC News Live. I'm Kimberly Brooks. Thanks so much for joining us. People keep getting fired at the White House, and in the latest Trump news, DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen is out. Plus, a student at Stanford University was recently expelled in this college admission scandal, and we're going to tell you why. And we're also going to let you know about the biggest movie of the year. But first, here are your headlines. Today, the United States is continuing to build its maximum pressure campaign against the Iranian regime. I am announcing our intent to designate the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, including its Quds Force, as a foreign terrorist organization in accordance with Section 219 of the Immigration and Nationality Act. The Chinese woman who made it past multiple layers of security at the president's Mar-a-Lago club faces a judge at a hearing today. I'm thinking they got it handled and they failed me. The mother of a fifth grader who died after a fight in the classroom is speaking out. Ashley Wright, holding the Colleton County School District in South Carolina, partially responsible for the death of her 10-year-old daughter, Renaya, who passed away two days after an encounter with another little girl in a classroom where other kids and a teacher were present. The Colleton County School District released a statement saying, we realize and appreciate that people want to know what happened. Once the investigation is complete, we will release a full report to the public. The postseason is coming to Brooklyn. The Nets have clinched their first playoff run since 2015. A Miami loss to Toronto early in the day helped the Nets end the NBA's sixth longest active playoff drought. Brooklyn then went on to beat the Indiana Pacers 108 to 96. D'Angelo Russell putting up 20 points. We begin with Washington. Big news over the weekend. Kirsten Nielsen is gone. Did she resign or was she fired? I want to go to Karen Travers at the White House. We also have John Cohen, former DHS official on the phone. Karen, I want to start with you. How did this happen and how did it go down exactly? This all happened on Sunday evening, Kimberly. Kirsten Nielsen released a resignation letter, but hours before that, she met here at the White House with the president to talk about border security. We're told this was a meeting that she requested to sit down with the president and have a conversation about what direction they might go in the future. Instead, she left that meeting with the president without her job. She did release a resignation letter, but Kimberly, let's be clear here, the president forced her out as head of DHS. And Frustrations uh, from the president directed at Nielsen had been simmering for a while. He has certainly held her personally responsible for what he sees as the crisis at the southern border, that uptick in migrant crossings. And they reached a boiling point, we're told, in recent weeks. A lot of angry conversations, frustration boiling over in meetings. And now Nielsen is out at DHS. All right, Cohen, I want to move to you because, you know, Karen just said she was kicked out because of this, uh, the uptick at the border. But is Kirsten responsible for the worsening conditions? 
Yeah, I mean, I think Karen uh, sort of hit the nail on the head that clearly the president was increasingly frustrated uh, with the deteriorating conditions at the border. Uh, conditions today are much worse than they were at the end of 2016. Um, I think one could say that uh, the way in which uh, the federal government has responded to the month-long uh, increase in people uh, presenting at the border uh, requesting asylum uh, is partially to blame. But, you know, while the president has the right to be frustrated, he really needs to take a good hard look at the policies and the approach to dealing with the border, uh, the approach that they put in place to deal with immigration, uh, to, to really get at why he should be frustrated. It's those policies and that approach uh, that that are causing the problems at the border, not necessarily the operational activity of the men and women of DHS. And John, now we have this acting secretary. Can you tell us a little bit about Kevin McAleenan? Yeah, I know Kevin very well. Uh, he, we worked closely together when I was at the department. He is smart. He has operational experience. He understands the border and the mission of Customs and Border Protection, but he also understands the mission of the Department of Homeland Security more broadly. He works very well with others. He's a, he's a stable, uh, steadying force, uh, and he can exhibit uh, effective leadership. But he will face the same challenges uh, as Secretary Nielsen in the respect that we have a White House that has very strong views on how immigration enforcement should be conducted, on how border security should be achieved. Uh, and that, those views sometimes are at odds with what the law allows uh, the government to do uh, and the operational realities at the border. So he will have to balance um, you know, improving uh, the Home Department of Homeland Security's operational response to the current conditions at the border with the intense pressure that will continue to come from the White House uh, and, and to some degree the micromanagement of the department by the White House. And Karen, what are the next steps in, in this whole process? I mean, she was just down there. What happens now? Yeah, that was interesting that she did make that trip on Friday with the president to Calexico, California, the southern border there with Mexico. And we're told that it was on the way back from that trip when Nielsen was on her way back to Washington, where she requested that meeting with the president yesterday. Nielsen will actually stay on uh, until Wednesday, resigned last night, stays on until Wednesday to help with the transition. But as John mentioned, you know, uh, it's not clear what the policies are that Kevin McAleenan can come in now and implement or bring with him that would sound satisfy the president's frustrations. Certainly there's been a, a pleading from the administration for Congress to get more involved. It's not on one person to fix this at the border, uh, but certainly the president for 16 months really took a lot of that anger out on Kirsten Nielsen. And now there's somebody else stepping in, but for them to be able to fix this immediately or turn the situation around on a dime, it's a very big challenge. And Karen, can we just address the fact that there are a lot of acting secretaries in this administration right now, right? Right now, there are three significant acting secretaries. You have an acting secretary of defense, acting secretary of the interior, and now at DHS. And the reason those three positions are so important is because they're the agencies that are directly implementing and monitoring the border situation. They're the ones the president is going to turn to as this crisis continues, in the president's view, or gets worse. So the fact that you have people who are not confirmed by the Senate, look for that to become something that Congress starts pointing to. And Kimberly, it also speaks to the way the president has approached policymaking and the way he's handled personnel here. At one point, a couple months ago, it was about a third of the cabinet were not Senate confirmed. They had acting before their title. All right, Karen and John, thank you so much. We appreciate the updates.
All right, we're moving on to that story that we've been keeping you updated on. It was first heartbreak, and now it's relief. The American woman and her safari guide are free and unharmed after being taken hostage in Uganda. So I want to go to Ian Panel, who's on the ground there. Ian? Hey, Kimberly. This is Queen Elizabeth National Park in Uganda. It's where the abduction began on Tuesday evening, and it's where it ended yesterday evening, pretty much five days to the hour since the pair were abducted. Just a reminder of what happened. Kimberly Sue Endicott, an American tourist, was here uh, as a tourist. She was out on a game drive. The Queen Elizabeth National Park is famous worldwide for its wildlife, for its flora and for its fauna. It has tree climbing lions, elephants, monkeys, Lots of things to see rise up on the border with the Democratic Republic of Congo. Absolutely beautiful. So she was out on an evening game drive. Then she and her driver were ambushed by four armed men wearing military fatigues. They took away Kimberly Sue and John Paul Merengue, her driver, uh, and they weren't seen again for another five days. Now, I can now tell you that negotiations were going on pretty much throughout that period with the kidnappers. But the FBI, together with the US military, but primarily Ugandan police and army, all working together, managed to secure her release, as I say, about 6 p.m. yesterday. So scenes of jubilation. We've seen pictures of her being re reunited with the owner of the lodge. We've seen her and John Paul Merengue the day after, finally clean and rested and looking happy. And they are now on their way home, home to meet their family and their loved ones. Some questions, though, about how this happened. The Ugandan authorities are very clear that they do not pay ransom. The American government, in fact, the US Secretary of State only last week, again reiterating long-standing US policy that it doesn't reward kidnappers for the obvious reason it encourages copycat. And yet a spokesperson for the tour company, Wild Frontiers, has told ABC News that money was exchanged. So who paid it and, crucially, why if it was a breach of policy? Final thing to tell you is that the hunt is still on for the kidnappers, who we believe are still at large. I understand that the hunt is going on not just on this side of the border, but also on the Congolese side. People will be desperate to find the kidnappers. Uh, like I say, for obvious fear, that if they get away with it and they get away with the money, and we're not sure how much that is, the risk is that it rewards others and encourages others to do likewise. Kimberly? All right, Ian, thank you so much. We're certainly happy that she is safe. All right, guys, fabricated sailing credentials. That's why a student was just expelled from Stanford University as part of that college admission scandal. So I'm very lucky to be joined by Aaron Katursky right now because you can break all of this down. Fabricated sailing credentials, really? Like, what is, what's going on here? I, it's, it's amazing. This entire nationwide college admissions cheating scandal has exposed how some of these more minor sports have played a big role in getting kids into college because their parents were willing to pay, and it all went under the radar. And in the case of a female student who has not been identified, Stanford found out that she wasn't much of a sailor. And yet the sailing coach, who had been fired after he agreed to plead guilty in all of this, uh, accepted a $500,000 bribe through wow. the mastermind of this scheme, Rick Singer, the college admissions coach based in California. And this is one of the few students who so far have actually been booted out of their, their school because of this scheme. It's like it's so elaborate, right? It's like why not basketball? Doing sailing just feels like it's it's you're going above and beyond. Ah, uh, but if it were basketball, somebody might notice if the True. power forward 
didn't show up. Here, in, the, in some of the more minor sports, it's often the coach that is the final arbiter of who's any good, who deserves a spot, who should get a scholarship, who should be even designated as a recruit. And no one thinks twice about it if they don't show up, don't participate. And that seems to be what, what happened here. In this particular case, there were three different students who were uh, thought to have been part of a uh, bribe payment or series of bribe payments to the former Stanford sailing coach. This one female student is the only one who was accepted. And, and after she got in is when this half million dollar bribe was allegedly paid. And until we know who she is, uh, we're, we're not going to be clear exactly who her parents are and, and why they were willing to go through all of this. Uh, but 30 odd parents have been charged with doing something similar. It's unbelievable. So what's the latest in the investigation? Has anything else happened at any of the other schools? Well, it's uh, a, a couple of other students have had their admissions rescinded. And in the case of the Stanford University student, uh, she is no longer on campus. All of her credits have been vacated. And some of the other schools are still going through their admissions roles to see if they need to be purged of any students who got in through any kind of cheating. Uh, away from the schools themselves, uh, more of the parents are starting to think about pleading guilty as mm -hmm. charged to the conspiracy to commit mail fraud. And there are still more charges potentially in the offing. It's a fascinating case. It really is. Thank you so much for being here. We need you to come back so you can keep us updated. Anytime, Kimberly. All right, guys, this next story can't help but make you think of, you know, down south in the 1950s. There's an urgent FBI investigation after a series of suspicious threats at three historically black churches in Louisiana in the same parish in the last two weeks. So I want to go to Steve Osinsami, who's in uh, Atlanta with the latest. Steve. Kimberly, the state fire marshal of Louisiana says that while he can't definitively say that these fires are linked, it's hard to believe that these fires at black churches were a coincidence. The first fire hit St. Mary's Baptist Church. The next destroyed Greater Union Baptist. And the most recent incident on Thursday was at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. At this point, they believe there is some relation, whether it's a single person or single technique or sing single method, they're not ready to speak to yet. They're looking at these as being intentionally set. On Sunday, 80 churchgoers at one of these churches that lost their church to the fire found a new home uh, at another church that opened their doors. Uh, the pastor, of course, telling those people that they may have lost their church, but they won't lose their, their hope too. The ATF and the FBI are all helping in this investigation, trying to get some answers for these families. But on the meanwhile, the people who go to these churches in Louisiana are on edge, waiting and watching, making sure that this doesn't happen to them as well. Kimberly. Thank you, Steve. That's, um, that's absolutely devastating. All right, guys, and next, voters in Israel, they're, hold, they're heading to the polls uh, tomorrow as Benjamin Netanyahu looks to win a historic fifth term as prime minister. So ahead of that vote, ABC's Jordana Miller uh, spoke to some voters on the ground. Jordana? Kimberly, a day before the Israeli election, the race is simply too close to call. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is running neck and neck with his former IDF chief, General Benny Gantz. The military leader has galvanized Israelis who are hungry for a change after Netanyahu's 10 years in office and dismayed by the potential corruption charges against him. 
But Netanyahu's voters are among the most loyal. They are dismissing the corruption allegations, and they are determined to put him back in office for a fifth time. And he does come into Election Day with a big advantage. He is part of a right-wing bloc that still, according to the polls, will hold a majority on Election Day. Here, it's all about parties and not necessarily the man, the personality. One thing, however, that is leaving pollsters and pundits vexed is the unusually high number of Israelis who say they simply don't know who they're going to vote for. It's estimated at 10%. We came here to Jerusalem's market to talk to some of the voters, take a listen to what they had to say. Why do you think it's so hard this year for you to decide? Uh, because there are no good options, and uh, the, the current option isn't... I think most people just want to replace the, our current leader. So, uh, but the alternatives aren't great. But I still think uh, that it's important to vote. Like, even if you don't know, just read and think and just go, re uh, go vote. Ever, this election, like, they're playing so dirty, and I'm thinking these are the people who are supposed to run our country. I'm just hoping that there'll be a bit more honor and people who are a bit more liberal and will appreciate what Israel has become as well. The Israeli election is shaping up to be a referendum on the leadership of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. In a last-ditch effort to get out his right-wing base, he is now vowing to annex Jewish settlements in the West yeah. Bank. Kimberly? Thank you so much, Jordana. And now we're moving on to something that everyone's been following, the NCAA tournament, a thrilling finish on the court. Baylor holding on to win the women's NCAA championship, beating Notre Dame 82-81 to for the school's first title since 2012. The victory was especially impressive after Baylor star player Lauren Cox went down with an injury in the third quarter. So take a look at this. <laughs> I want to uh, thank the NCAA Women's Basketball Committee. They got it right. And um, the city of Tampa, what great memories my basketball team has just going to Turney Town, signing autographs. Um, the hotel, we're at the Grand Hyatt, which was way far away. Um, but the Tampa police made me feel like Moses when they were parting the sea. They would stop the traffic and the kids just got a kick out of filming that. Notre Dame, do I even need to tell you how good they are? They were the, they're the defending national champions, can score at all positions, um, played a zone against us. I don't think people thought we could score against a zone. We scored a lot of points. Um, just a great game for women's basketball. All right, that was uh, Kim Walkie, Baylor's head coach. And now for more, I want to go to TJ Holmes, who's in Minneapolis. Uh, TJ, I know you're there for the men's final tonight, but what did you think of this women's game and their, their big win? Yeah, I would have preferred to be in Tampa. <laughs> no, well, Minneapolis is lovely this time. But Tampa is also lovely as well. Look, I watched every bounce of the ball in that women's game. I made sure I sat down and watched that game because the women's Final Four is always good to have. 
exciting and thrilling to watch uh, than the men's Final Four sometimes, but you have those powerhouse schools like a Notre Dame and a Baylor who have these great programs, and they just go at it, and it's a back-and-forth competition, and it turned out to be, of course, a, a nail-biter, and you hate it for Arike Ogubawale, Ogubawale, who is the point guard for Notre Dame, who was the hero of last year's Final Four. She made those two uh, buzzer beaters to win the semifinal and the national championship, and she's the one who missed a free throw at the end of the national championship game yesterday that could have put her team uh, possibly into overtime. So yeah, it was heartbreaking to see her go out like that, but a, just a wonderful career she's had, but another wonderful women's Final Four. All right, so on to the men's game. Is there is there anything that we should really be excited for tonight? I mean, I admittedly don't really keep up with all of this, but you're there. What should we be looking for? Anything to be excited about, Kimberly? If I have to get you excited <laughs> about the men's Final Four, then you all you you're way past hope right now. I can't <laughs> help you, so I'm not going to try to help you. People are supposed to understand this is the men's Final Four. This is Texas Tech against Virginia. That's my selling point. That's the pitch right there. That's all I got for you. But this is is really about what has been a year-long redemption tour for the Virginia Cavaliers. They're number one seed again, but last year they were on the wrong side of history, becoming the first number one seed in the history of the tournament to lose in the first round. They lost to a 16 seed. They were the laughing stock. I was talking to some of the uh, people from Virginia, just going through what the kids went through last year. I mean, getting death threats and getting hateful things sent their way for almost a full year is what these kids went through. To come back now the very next year and to have a possibility of winning the national championship, that's really a redemption tour and a story uh, like none other really in the Final Four. But you do have Texas Tech, which not a lot of people People expected to necessarily be here a very defensive minded team but long and athletic uh, this is their first final four so this would be their first championship as well so both of these schools and these teams uh, have a lot on the line and Texas Tech get this Kimberly the school is so excited about what's happening here that the kids at Texas Tech Not back working. in Lubbock they gave them the night off from classes tonight and they have the day off from classes tomorrow win or lose so that's how serious it is all right, and so I just have to ask you, TJ, you are always getting these amazing assignments, getting to go to these big sports games. What does it feel like to be oh. there tonight? Oh, Kimberly, it's exhausting is what it is. It's just, oh, it's a tough, tough gig. Having to run around to the Final Four and to the NBA Finals and the Super Bowl and the, and, and the World Series, it's exhausting, Kimberly. I wish somebody would help me take some of the load off of going to all of these events. Look, these are these are really great for the cities. The cities are really some great host cities I've been to over the years. But coming in and seeing the fans and what this means to them, just bouncing around town here for the last few days and seeing the folks from, they lost, but Michigan State fans are still here uh, in great numbers. Um, and, and to see the Texas Tech folks and the Virginia folks just take this experience in is really, really cool to see. The game is the game. I can watch that on my couch, I'll enjoy it. I watch it in the arena, I'll enjoy it. But to really be a part of the experience and the people who are here uh, is always fun. And, and again, to visit another city. We were here just a couple years ago for, uh, for the Super Bowl in Minneapolis. So I already went to my favorite uh, breakfast spot this morning. So I, I got places around town. So I got this system down, Kimberly. All right, TJ, I hope you have the best time. I'm excited for you. All right, guys. Okay, so it's shaping up to be the biggest movie of the year, maybe even the biggest movie of the decade. Can you guess what I'm talking about? I'm talking, of course, about Avengers Endgame, which hits theaters later this month. And ahead of that premiere, Paula Ferris sat down with some of the cast, so check it out. 
Oh my gosh, we're rolling. Everybody yeah. in character. Calm down. Um, Look alive. All we can do is our best. And sometimes the best that we can do is to start over. It's one of the most highly anticipated movies of all time. Where did that bring you? Back to me. As moviegoers saw in the last installment, the Avengers are facing the highest stakes they've ever seen. Why would you do that? We're in the end game now. We sat down with the core six to see if Endgame lives up to the hype. So this movie is under lock and key. How many of you, raise your hands if you've seen it? You, none of you have seen it? No. Do you know what happens outside of this, your personal scenes? We're, I was on the given my little section. I find it strange that you haven't been able to watch your own movie. But why is it? Is it because Mark can't be trusted? Is it because the rest of you well, can't be trusted? Game. Why does everyone <laughs> say Look, that? I, I, I tend to think if any, one of us, if any one of us asked, I'm sure we probably could. I, I just think, personally, I'm actually going to try and enjoy the experience at the premiere. There's so many different pieces going right. on, and there's like three different units happening at the same time. And if you're not acting with another actor, then you don't know what else is mm. going on in the world because there's right. so many different parts of this yep. universe that, honestly, we really all are as kind of in the dark as all of you, and that's part of the real kind of joy and amazement is that, you know, mm -hmm. when do you ever get that these days to be able to have a, a genuine right. surprise and not anticipate anything? So we actually are not lying. We don't really know anything more than yeah. you guys do. Kind of fun just to be like, cool, I'm doing my bit, and uh, when you get to the premiere, it's like, oh my God, that's what happened to you, or that's what happened to me, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, it is. It's you guys are, so, you, can, you can honestly see that you genuinely love one another. What's it been like to work with this group? Well, I think like Mark was saying, it is that, it is that family you choose, even though the, the fates brought us together. And I can look at each of my co-stars and, and, and recall many times that we've sought each other out when uh, there was no call sheet. It's been this really, really it's nice. been an amazing, we keep using the word surreal and dreamlike and all that, but I think it's, um, it's been a, a very blessed affair. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Most of you have kids. Has this upped the cool factor? Uh, I was just telling the guys, one of my kids thinks mm -hmm. that I'm cool. One just one. Him. Yeah, just one. And he gets fed the most, he gets looked after, he gets <laughs> <enough> love. <laughs> the other one's like Wonder Woman, so they sleep outside. <laughs> Who spends the most time in hair and makeup? Uh, I think Lady guys. Hemsworth. Lady Hemsworth. She's so pretty. Can you guys give me one word to describe the end? Movie, satisfying. Yeah. satisfying. 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 I, I think a lot of times, look, another satisfied customer in, who has in, not yet uh, in, seen the product. In any, you know, it's like when you watch a, like TV shows, when you have the final finale, how many times do they stick the landing? How many times do you walk who away saying, you? I exactly wanted that to go the way I wanted it to go? This movie will really, I think they deliver. I think they really do stick the landing in, term of, in terms of, you know, yeah. addressing the arcs and, and really finding a completion. God, we nailed that. Totally nailed it. <laughs> All right, that movie's going to be epic. All right, guys, finally, how to avoid a test for the new generation. Two freshmen at Secaucus High School in New Jersey are in deep trouble after allegedly crashing their school's Wi-Fi network to get out of taking tests. The boys are being charged with criminal activity and conspiracy and also apparently took requests from other students to bring the network down. So now apparently a lot of the school's curriculum is internet-based, so taking down the Wi-Fi was a major <laughs> disruption. Hey, a STEM education 
vacation will do it for you, all right? All right, my friends, continue to take good care of yourselves. And for now, you can stick around for the briefing room at 3.30 p.m. You can also check us out for World News Prime at 8 p.m. And if you want to stay updated on all of these headlines, you can go to abcnews.com or download the app. I'm Kimberly Brooks. Thanks so much for joining us.